0: Hey there. For Milo. I am Preston and you are listening to Side Gig, the show about what it really takes to start and run a successful side hustle. You know the host of the show. There's Ryan, Ian, and me, Preston. We've all built growing side businesses while thriving at a nine to five desk job and we want to help you do the same. I won't keep you waiting any longer. Let's dive right into today's conversation and I'll be back at the end of the show for some parting thoughts. We are extremely excited to have Sandra on the air with us today. Awesome. Well, thank you uh, all for being here. This is the first time we've had four people on the air. Sandra, uh, could you introduce yourself really briefly for us so the listeners who know who you are and so that we can get a better feel for your situation as a side hustler?
1: Hi, Preston. Thank you very much for having me. Just to quickly introduce myself, I'm a designer. I've been working for about 10 years as an in-house designer in different types of Businesses for different types of companies. So um, when I say designer, it's uh, print and digital, so graphic design, but also web design, animations, infographics, illustrations, etc. So I've been working in the same uh, organization now for about uh, six years, and um, it came to my mind that actually I might need to diversify. As much as I love working with them, um, I just wanted to do something you know, uh, a bit different, uh, than what I'm currently doing. So I thought that it'd be great if I could start working, doing some freelancing on the side. So I'm basically just starting, I'm working full time still at the moment. And I've got one regular customer, uh, but I'm looking at expanding and, uh, actually it's proving a bit more challenging than I expected. And so that's when I came across, um, you know, your Facebook forum, uh, which I find very interesting and where, you know, I could talk to people and get some feedback and also your um, podcast.
0: Excellent. I And and first of all, thank you so much for listening. And, and second of all, thank you times 10 for reaching out to us. It's been so fun to hear, you know, you've listened to the podcast and, and then you're trying this side hustle thing and then you have some questions and the podcast is able to answer some of them. But then you reached out to us and, and said, hey, guys, I have all of these extra questions. And the three of us thought, well, instead of you know, responding via email or Facebook Messenger or whatever, how fun would it be to have you on the show pick our brains a little bit, but also learn from your experience as a side hustler as well. So we're really excited to have you on the show today. Thank, thanks again so much for being here. We really appreciate it.
1: Thank you
0: for having me. Yeah. So I want to, I want to jump in right away and get right to sort of the meat of this conversation. And that is some of the questions that you have about running your side business. Is there a particular question you'd like to kick off
1: with Sandra? Sure. So this is based on something that happened to me like a month ago. So I was talking to a prospective client and, um, you know, they seemed like quite interested in my services, you know, it went really well. And, uh, Then I explained to them that I was actually working full-time, but I was doing a self-freelancing on the side. And then suddenly, you know, the atmosphere just changed and uh, it just felt like suddenly they were not really trusting that I could do the job because I had this full-time work. So I was wondering whether this happened to you and, you know, what did you do to overturn this and how can you make a trust you.
0: Ryan and what have you guys had any experience with that?
2: Yeah, I was thinking of jumping jumping in on that because in in my case, I've always been quite transparent in the same way that that you have and um the reason for that is because personally I feel that it's important to kind of set expectations. But I totally understand why the client feels the way that he has done. I've always tried to be totally transparent from the outset. And um, I, I do think in some cases, people might be concerned, but because I've always been working on smaller projects, it's never been a, an issue for me. How about you, Ryan?
3: Yeah. I mean, I, I'd say, Sandra, first of all, I don't think you did anything wrong, right? Like yeah. this is all a learning process. Absolutely. So it's, it's kind of evolving, right? And I've made tons of mistakes myself that in hindsight, I wouldn't do the same way again. And, and I do have kind of a strong opinion on how I now feel about this question of yours. Um, so I actually think that, you know, unless you feel like there's an issue of you being able to deliver on the type of project, um, I don't think it's really relevant to any of your freelance clients that you're working on the side, because if you're sort of mapping this all out, um, the way that you probably are, then you're saying like, okay, yeah, I do have the time, you know, the five hours a week or whatever that number may be to actually do this project for them. And so I think that on on sort of the flip side of this equation, like if you don't think it's an issue, if you think you're going to be able to do, deliver on the project, then the client should also sort of be on the same page there with you. So if they think that that's a huge red flag, if they don't want to work with someone who's doing just side work, then i'd argue that they're not the right kind of client for you anyway and and not to say that they're, you know, bad people or a bad company like i just think they wouldn't be the right long-term fit for you anyway in that event if that's something that they clearly care so much about.
0: And i agree with that. I think there's multiple levels to this question. You know, the first is it was sort of addressed by Ian, which is should i divulge at all if i'm working on their projects on the side instead of full time. I mean, it is a valid concern. If you're not available at any hour of the day, some clients get upset about that or or are concerned about that. But I think the second level of this is, do you? I guess the difference for me is, do you divulge it upfront? Like it's not dishonest to not bring it up yourself, right? But then when, once it's brought up, if they ask. Then Mm -hmm. are you honest about it? I would say I agree with actually both Ian and Ryan, even though they're slightly different answers. And, And here's how I agree with both. The fact of the matter is when you start working with them, you can not bring it up. And then if a few months down the road, they're like, you know, I've noticed I can't get a hold of you between eight o'clock and five o'clock. It's only after 6 p.m. that we ever talk. Uh, You know, is this like a side thing? And then you can explain to them that it is. But really, the best clients, like Ryan said, are going to care mostly about the value that you can deliver them, not the time of day you're working, not how many hours even that you're putting into the project. If you can get the project done in an hour and it takes another freelancer who's working full time, takes them eight hours they shouldn't care either way they should care about the value that you're bringing their company Mm -hmm.
2: I've been thinking with this uh, like primarily the the main reason why I've been quite transparent about it is for one of the reasons that that you mentioned then was that if in the event that they do want to get hold of me obviously I'm not going to physically be be able to um, have any telephone calls or conversations even during like lunch breaks you know during that time I, I need to eat and. I might need to do other things. So right. if I could take a call at like lunchtime, it could only be like half an hour. So I've personally tried to be transparent about it, but I actually like Ryan's answer a lot. That It, it probably doesn't matter and I, I probably don't need to say anything about it, but um, I've, I've always liked to be transparent and definitely for the reason of, of communication, that, that's, the primary, that's the primary reason why I, I think it's better to say so.
0: Yeah, oh. I think the honesty is key. I agree. Honesty is key. Sandra, are we headed in the right direction with this answer? Is this kind of what you're looking for?
1: Yes and no, because it's kind of not contradicting, but, you know, I suppose it's good to think that if the customer is really, really want someone that will be answering their phone between, you know, 9 and 5 p.m., that this person might not be the right customer for me. But when you start a side hustle, you just want everyone to like you and you don't want to say no to a project because you're really (laughs) new to it. So it's really difficult to think like, oh, well, that's all right. I'll have another opportunity with somebody else. For me, it feels more like, oh, no, I'm losing a customer. So it is really difficult. I guess, you know, you can't just please everyone. And actually, that made me think of what are you feeling about answering phone calls when you're at work? Is it something that you think is a big no-no? Do you think that, you know, if it's like an emergency, or, you know, if it's just like a matter of five minutes? Because sometimes you can get a phone call from I don't know your your mom or your dad, you know, when you're at work. So do you think that it's not professional to answer a quick phone call? Or do you think or answering a quick email, or do you think it's okay?
0: It's a really great question. We've tackled it on a few episodes, as you probably know. You know, we talked about whether you should tell your boss you have a side hustle, um, you know, what's appropriate to do in the workplace and not in terms of your side gig. I think it also depends on, what kind of work you're doing on a side hustle, you know, if you're doing the same kind of work that your company does, that could be a conflict in terms of doing that in their office with their lights and their overhead and them paying for you to be there. Basically there's, there's a lot of sort of gray area there, I think, and and I'll throw it over to you, Ian and Ryan, but I think we've said a lot on this show, first and foremost, you know, honesty and transparency with your boss is is paramount, I mean you know being clear and upfront with them about what's happening and setting some boundaries and some guidelines and some rules so that everybody's on the same page the the last thing you'd want is to until you're ready for it is to lose your job uh, over your side hustle when your side hustle is making a fraction of what you are at your day job I mean that would that would be quite a catastrophe and so I think the short version of what I'm trying to say is. It depends, which I know is not the best answer. Ryan and Ian, maybe you can help me out here.
3: Yeah, I'll, I'll jump in real quick. I think this is a really situational answer. So I would honestly say that I can't even give you what I would feel confident is a good answer without knowing your boss and what your working relationship is like with the company and like, you know, what kinds of agreements maybe you've signed. Like maybe there's actually something that specifically mentions that you can't do, you know, side work on company time or in the company office. Um so, I wouldn't know that, I guess, without taking a look at your actual agreements and knowing more about your structure of your work. But I will say that, I mean, personally, I have a very, um, I guess, liberal look on this. Um, I've always sort of taken emergency side project calls during work. If I absolutely have to, um, I'll just step outside of the office or I'll, you know, go up to the rooftop of the building, something where I'm not standing near other sort of coworkers or bosses or something like that. And I think if you're respectful um, of the time that you actually allocate towards those emergency calls or whatever emails, whatever they may be, um, then you can keep that to the five, 10 minutes, whatever. Let them know that, hey, you know, I'm actually really busy right now, but I will be able to get you a more full response or a better answer to that within a few more hours when you are off work.
2: I know from my side the the way that I see it is that realistically, um, the the hours that you can take calls is either during lunch breaks or after work. So, um, you know, going on from from the original uh, question, I like to kind of set expectations. So if if the client is aware that it's a, a part time venture, I can be totally transparent there you can only get hold of me between these hours. And that way the client is totally aware that they can't just pick up the phone and try and call you, you know, during between like nine and one. I've always believed that it's worth being transparent primarily for that reason. At the end of the day, we are building things like websites or, 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 you know, branding or whatever. No one's going to die. So I, I, personally don't think (laughs) there's ever going to be that situation where you desperately have to pick up the phone. I think it's very unlikely to happen. So just set expectations. If the client knows that you can only take calls between 12 and 1, for example, that it's not going to be an issue. This is
0: where building systems into your business can also be a huge help. You know, I know, Ian, you have people and processes that help you manage all the incoming requests that you get. Um, I know Ryan and I have built up processes in our businesses that help us get things done even when we can't personally be attending to them. And a lot of that need for that, at least for me personally, came from running it first as a side business because I only had, you know, a couple hours a day that I could dedicate to My business while I had a full time job and a family and etc, you know, and so I started to build these processes where while I was at work, other people or technology were doing things that I could have been doing. But instead, I, I sort of built it into into this machine that was that was working away at my business while I was at my job. And I know that can that's maybe a little bit further down the road, but it can definitely be something to look forward to as you continue to grow your side hustle to where, you know, some of it can function without you needing to answer every call or answer every email or anything like that.
2: I'm thinking it's worth adding that there there are companies out there that offer like a virtual telephone number and um, there, there will actually be someone that answers the, the uh, phone. I know, like I said, I've been quite transparent with what I'm doing, but that, that at the same time, I've not been too worried about filling up my diary, but if I, if if I did want to be more serious about my business and make a substantial income, I would invest in those um, services that can answer during those times and then what they can do is they can pass on, on the message and you can do uh, the follow-up calls or messages at a time that, that's convenient for you and then that just means that
0: it looks like your business is actually there. I will say also maybe to wrap this particular question up unless Sandra you'd like us to go a little bit further with it but um, I, I will say I'm also a big fan of like you said using that in between time you know automate as much as you can or, or build in however you want to build it I guess you know if you take Ian's approach where you're up front and you just say you can't contact me during the these particular hours. But you know, running a side business is still very time consuming. It's not just client phone calls. And so I'm a big believer in, you know, the five minute walk to the bathroom, pull out your phone and answer some emails. The, like you said, a a lunch break or something you have the right to do in most places you work, I should say, you have the right to do, make sure that you do, but you have the right to do the things you want to do on your lunch break. And just as easily as your coworker can read on their lunch break or watch Netflix, you can also work on your side business. And so there are moments during the day where ethically I feel like, Like, it's fine. Of course, you know, again, it's situational. like Ryan said, it depends on your situation and your boss and your company and how you feel ethically about it and all of those sorts of things. But I think there are moments during the day that you can, you know, just carve out tiny little pieces to work on your side hustle and all of those added together over the course of days, weeks and months add up to be pretty significant. Okay, so where can we go from here, Sandra? What 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 would be the next best step for you? Is this working out so far?
1: Yeah, no, that's great. Thank you very much. Um, no, that's really interesting. It's quite a lot to take in uh, because, you know, like I said, I'm just starting to really take in that side gig more seriously. Yeah, I had a question as well regarding this because now you are, the three of you are now really well established and you went even further than your side gig and is becoming like a full gig really for yourself. And they were just wondering, how did you build your reputation when you first started? Do you remember, you know, when you start, people don't really know you. Um, So how do you build up on your reputation? Because, for example, I pitched for some projects that were like really up my street. And, um, you know, I got shortlisted and eventually the job went to someone that was recommended to them. And it's kind of like a vicious circle because I cannot be uh, recommended if nobody works with me. So, how did you build your reputation?
0: <laughs> this is the classic chicken and egg problem of freelancing, right? How do I get clients when I don't have any client work to show? And I think Ian, Ian, maybe you your experiences is, is possibly the closest uh, to Sandra's. Maybe you want to start off this little segment.
2: Yeah, I've got quite a lot to say about this one. Um, I, I think in terms of reputation, a lot of it comes from uh, what can be kind of called social proof. So the more people that are aware of you, the the more recognized you, you become. And I think online with the tools that are there, you can do this relatively easy and, and relatively quickly. And um, in my case, that social proof has come from using you know, things like uh Twitter. So, you know, by sharing resources around your your niche area, like it, it doesn't have to be content that, that you've written. If you frequently share interesting content, then you can be seen as an, an influencer around that topic. And I mean, there's there's a lot of people out there that speak about this type of thing. So people like Gary Vinerchuk, he's just released a new book called Crushing It, I think, which um, he speaks a lot about the, the concept of building up a personal brand. So I think that's probably the best way to do it is to physically build up a brand. So um, I've done it by writing blogs on my own website, writing guest blogs on other sites. More recently, uh, um, I've been doing a lot of interviews. So by frequently posting on social media, you become seen as an influencer. And the higher your following becomes, obviously, more and more people see see you as an influencer. So you get invited to be interviewed, but you can actually fabricate that yourself. So you can find opportunities to be interviewed. So you can you can find people that maybe have podcasts like this one. And the the more that you do, the more social proof you get. And uh, social proof can also be built up by doing guest blogs on on authoritative websites. So something like Preston site Miller, maybe you could do some guest blogs for there and people will start to recognize that that you've done that. I also think it's important to communicate that you've wrote on certain sites. So on my site you can actually see I wrote for creative block, I've been featured in Photoshop Creative Magazine, I've been featured in this, that, and the other. And What that does is when people land on my website, even if they've never heard of me, they immediately think, oh, this guy, he's doing a lot of stuff online. So things like building up communities, doing just basically just keep doing things like sharing content through social media and creating content. It just increases your social proof with everything that you do and tiny interactions every single day builds up. Five years ago, I had nothing online, but because I've been building on that every single day for uh, you know, like 15, 20 minutes a day. Now on Twitter, I've got 92,000 followers and I'm getting opportunities frequently to, to write content. And I haven't spent hours and hours and hours on that. You know, I, I I don't put aside like an entire day, a week, week on it. It's just half an hour here, half an hour there. And it's surprising how quickly that can
0: build up online. I will say, before we move to your comments, Ryan, I agree with what you're saying, Ian, you know, it's, it's, uh, It's a really good path to follow to build up some authority and and some awareness of you and your brand and that kind of thing. I think it can be, however, just to slightly disagree, I think it can be a bit daunting for new freelancers to think, wait, I have to blog and podcast and make YouTube videos for five years before I can be at the level that, you know, Ian's at or or even before I can be at half the level that Ian's at in terms of new client inquiries and that kind of thing. I think there's lots of other things you could do possibly in the short term as you're building that up, but you can do both at the same time, right? Build up some social proof so that over time you, you, you start to build a brand for yourself and for your company, but in the short term, I think there's things you can also do. You can, I mean, cold emailing is perhaps the most basic of ways to do this. Now, I know the laws are in the in the process of changing, particularly um, in the UK, but um, but cold emailing or cold outreach or knocking on doors. I mean, honestly, going and talking to people about your services. Building relationships with them at networking events, those kinds of things can lead to projects very quickly and can start the momentum rolling. You can also find causes or companies or not-for-profits that you really believe in and do pro bono work for them, so that you have work to show, so that you become familiar with the client process. I wouldn't spend hours and hours or weeks and months on those projects. I would do small projects with them, um, so that they can start talking about you as a freelancer to the people that they know. I think there are some quicker ways potentially to get there, but I do agree that over time you should build this social proof you're talking about ian hey everyone preston here with a quick interruption running a side hustle can be exhausting and it can leave you drained at the end of the week you know what i'm talking about and if you're looking for a unique way to be more productive with your time then you should maybe take a look at azoth Azoth is a dietary supplement company driven to increasing human productivity. And side hustling listeners of this show can use coupon code SIDEGIG, which will give you 10% off the list price at seekingazoth.com. Support for this episode comes from the NEAT company. When you're running your own business, there's a lot to keep track of. You got business receipts, invoices, business cards, lots more. NEAT lets you eliminate extra paperwork and avoid hours of data entry. Instead, using the NEAT app, your email, or a scanner, you can input all of your important documents quickly and easily. NEAT will then verify all your information is organized and accurate and make everything searchable. So, if all you can remember is the first name of that client from two years ago, NEAT can help you find their invoice fast. From there, you can create financial reports to use yourself or easily share them with your accountant. Listeners of this show can try NEAT completely free for 30 days by visiting neat.com slash side gig. That's 30 days completely free when you visit neat.com slash sidegig. gig. And now back to our conversation. And a good combination or a good mix, maybe between the two of those, might be a good approach for someone who's not exactly ready to wait. You know, five years to to leave their job, for example. Ryan, what, what's your take?
3: Yeah, I mean, to be honest, I love both these answers, and um, you know, I, I agree really with what Preston had to say too. Um, quite a lot is that you know when you look at all these options, right? Like it, it can become very overwhelming very quickly. And so to give you kind of like the the hybrid approach that I've actually taken several times. With my freelance work, um, I'll publish a very specific blog post that I know is going to be along the lines of what my potential clients are interested in. so part of this is, you know, first understanding who I want to work with and having a very short list of like, you know, these are my ten to twenty five dream clients. These are the only people I'm going to go after because my side time is so limited. I really want to work with these amazing clients that I know can afford to pay me what I want to earn. And so, starting with that sort of knowledge, I'll pick off some sort of blog post topic. Um, You know, one example being, um, I have a post on my blog about online business tools and it's a hundred different tools that I've used or love um, for my online business. And so starting with that, um, I do sort of a deep dive explaining what each of these tools are, all 100 of them. Um, And then I'll sort of, you know, link to each of them, mention that, you know, grab a free trial over here. And then once I publish this post on my blog, I'll take this cold email approach that Preston mentioned and I'll reach out to someone at each of these companies and I'll do it individually so that you can tell there's sort of this you know real person behind the email instead of using some sort of mass emailing tool. Um, and I'll just start building relationships with people at these brands that I know I want to work with. and And this, for me, meshes really well with what my service offering is too, because I'm doing content marketing, blogging services for these brands. And so this is essentially kind of a preview of my service. I'm I'm reaching out, I'm saying, hey, this is this cool value I provided, I mentioned you in this blog post. But then at the same time, when they click through, they see a sample of what my work is. And, And they just got sort of a big preview in addition to some value already provided. So I would say, try and come up with the highest impact example that you can think of um, in terms of giving yourself an excuse to reach out to the kinds of clients you want to work with.
0: I love that. Sandra, how are we doing in terms of answering that particular question? I, there's, there's a lot of different points of view here, which I think is really helpful, but how, how are you finding it?
1: Yes. Uh, so it's definitely food for thoughts. Um, a lot of information again to take in. Uh, for me, the main problem I have is uh, time management because obviously um, I'm looking for, I'm spending time to look for projects that I could um, apply for. I'm writing my proposals. Um, I'm looking for inspirations online. I am actually working on certain things as well, plus my full-time job. So then if I have to create extra content uh, on top of it, it feels like suddenly a lot of things to to think about I guess the more you do it and the faster you will get at doing them um, but it's definitely something that I've I will be thinking about um, especially like you say uh, building my own brand which I think is very important for any businesses to do um, so yeah no that's really great thank you very much for all this information um, I've actually um, done quite a bit of networking recently, so I went to local events uh, that are, well, events near my place. And um, so it was really interesting, really daunting, really, for me to do some networking. Um, But yeah, like, you know, like the first question I was asking, the issue I had was as soon as people were asking me questions like, you know, so where do you work? Do you work in an office or do you work from home? So then I would say, well, I actually work in an office full-time and uh, I work from home when I do my freelancing. And it just felt like they were looking at me as in like, oh, you know, this is just a hobby. Let's not take her seriously. So then the next time I did networking I tried to be a bit vague but then I just felt like I wasn't being honest and so I just didn't feel very comfortable. It is a bit difficult I guess.
0: There's a definite imposter syndrome that I think we all go through and if anyone on the air hasn't heard that term before essentially you convince yourself that you are not the person that you're claiming to be that you're not, uh, that you couldn't possibly be a a successful freelancer or something like that but uh, I would say to you Sandra and to everyone. Everybody on the, uh, you know, listening, obviously you can be the thing that you want to be and don't let imposter syndrome convince you. Otherwise, you know, you kept saying in this segment and, and in a previous question, you also said, you know, they just kept looking at me like, oh, let's not take her seriously. And, and while some of the people might've been thinking that my bet would be that not everybody that you think is thinking that way is actually doing so. A lot of times we project our own insecurities and our own, I guess, that just feeling of being an imposter, we can project that onto other people. And I'm no psychiatrist, psychologist, which one is it? Anyway, I I have no uh, credibility to analyze like the way you think about yourself, but I will say that imposter syndrome is a very real thing for all of us who are building our own businesses. And I would also say, too, to backtrack one one question earlier, or, or not just the tail end of the last question, I guess, is on the idea of creating content. You know, Ian mentioned Gary Vaynerchuk earlier. He does talk about documenting instead of creating. And while you're working on projects, while you're fiddling around, learning new things in photoshop or whatever you're working on you know any any new thing you're fiddling around with or learning or something you read that's interesting all of that can be content that you're quote unquote creating but you're already doing it and so i've found creating content and i think ian would probably agree with this is as easy as just documenting what you're already going through and i know some of the biggest brands that we follow that's what they do As they, you know, Chris Spooner comes to mind, for example, Chris, Chris Spooner runs, um, the spoon graphics blog and he does a fantastic job, but for a long time, all he did was show tutorials of projects he was already working on for clients or for himself. And after a while, those started to be some of his most successful pieces of content and really he was doing the work anyway. So why not? you know, share it with the world. So I think, I guess the two takeaways there, imposter syndrome, don't let it get the best of you. <laughs> it can be rough. I still de- I still deal with it all the time. Um, I know a lot of people who do and, and then, you know, document instead of create that'll, that'll help your workload stay nice and low so that you don't feel overwhelmed and so that you're not doing a lot of things that don't contribute directly to the, the bottom line of your business.
2: I'm going to jump in on a few of those things because there there was quite a lot that you spoke about, but um, talking about the networking thing, I I think it's worth considering that when you you actually attend events, don't go there with the intent of finding clients. Try to see it as somewhere that you can go to make friends with other business owners and then that takes away any pressure. And um, what I found is that people choose to work with people that they know, like, and trust. If you're transparent about what you do and why you're doing it, if someone is genuinely interested in that service, they they will go with you. A lot of the the things that you're saying about, you know, people looking at you in a certain way, like Preston said, I, I think it's probably in, in your head, you know, it's quite common for people to be working for a company and then to start building their their own business and um, I I think people find it inspiring and if someone did physically want a website for example and they don't know anyone else they're going to go with someone that they know like and trust and hopefully that person when that time comes will be you. Um, there, There was another thing that you mentioned about time management. I've personally struggled with this myself. It's really hard because you know you spend all of your day at work and then you come home And you've only got a couple of hours in the evening and you've only got weekends. It's worth bearing in mind that those evenings, you do have to make time for other things like eating, washing up, (laughs) spending time with uh, friends and families. So I've always tried to schedule and, and make sure if there is something that I need to do, I know that evening when I get home, I have to sit down and I'm doing that for that one hour, for example. I think you need to be realistic about what you can do. Um, so for example, some of those web projects, they might be incredibly big and realistically some of those you might not be able to take on or you might have to, you know, just work on it one day a weekend and do it over like six weeks or, or something like that. You you just have to be realistic with that. Um one thing that I know that Ryan does well is uh he actually schedules time in the morning. So for example, what he'll do is um he'll go to bed at like nine and then wake up in the morning and I think it's from like five or six, who work like a three-hour period and then stop and then go to work afterwards. By using that time in the morning, it's kind of time that no one else wants to take up. So I think if you was really serious about it and you did want to um, you know, invest a significant amount of time, I think that's probably the best way to do it um but i've always personally just tried to do it in the evenings or at weekends and i've set minimal projects when i was doing this as a side gig i would never take more than like two projects i would just take on one at a time i'd work on it i finish it and then then the next one what that allows me to do is slowly grow my business but not feel overwhelmed in the process you know it's it's manageable i can always get back to the client Within twenty four hours, I can turn the project round within you know two week period or whatever. It's totally manageable. So I think you just need to know what realistically you can do in the time that you have,
0: and make sure you schedule in your time. Side hustling really is a, a game of patience, isn't it? Oh, I mean, it's so ironic because so many people start a side hustle because they are dissatisfied with their job, because they're dissatisfied with their income, but uh, it really is. Uh, a game of patience and uh, persistence, perseverance, as as you grow this thing on the side that you just always wish you had more hours in the day. That principle you were talking about, Ian, comes from John Acuff's book, uh, Start. He talks about the 5 a.m. rule, waking up at 5 a.m. when no one else cares about what you're doing <laughs> at, the, at that time of day. You can... You can work on whatever you want to work on. And oftentimes, because you're so well rested uh, at at that, meaning you just woke up, oftentimes your brain does its best work at that time of day. So
1: for me, definitely. Um, I do wake up actually most morning now around five o'clock, maybe five thirty, shall I say. And this is when I'm actually the most creative. So just after waking up good for you. So it definitely works with me. I do like uh, the imposter syndrome you were talking about. And uh, as you were describing it, uh, I did find myself guilty of it. (laughs) (laughs) It's actually very difficult because this is a completely different frame of mind to do a side gig and to work within an office. Because obviously where I'm working at the moment, I've been there for like over five years and uh, people know me people trust me they know that I can do the job and you know I'm considered as an expert and so people when they have questions about design they always ask me and then suddenly to feel questioned suddenly feels a bit strange (laughs) Uh, when when you do the side gig so uh, and then it just makes you question yourself and I think this is a reason why I want to do more freelancing is because. I decided to feel maybe a bit too complacent in in my own work and I just wanted to be challenged a bit more. Uh, It's just a bit strange, that's all. I do like what you mentioned about documenting how you do a project. I was just wondering if it's a project that I've done for my work, for my full-time work. Is this something that I can still put in a blog? Do you think it's ethical? To do that? Or do you think that is something, again, that I'd have to ask my work? In there, okay? That's a really great
0: question. Now, again, to sort of reiterate from earlier, you know, neither Ian nor I are legal professionals, and certainly we don't want to get anyone in trouble, including you, Sandra. So best to consult with someone who can help you through the legal uh, questions that you might have but I'd say even more important than that is what we mentioned earlier which is being upfront and transparent with your boss about it um, or or whoever at the company you feel like you need to be honest with about it it's very very situational particularly if you're if you're sharing you know what might be considered trade secrets um, which is a really kind of overly fancy word for just showing the the process, I guess, but, but companies sort of use that word trade secrets as a legal liability. If you're showing how the company does something and publicly publishing that online, that could potentially cause problems for you. I, I'm afraid, I wish I could give you a more solid answer. I'm afraid it would depend entirely on how your boss feels about it, how the company you work for feels about it, and the kinds of things that you'd be publishing. In my opinion. I don't know. Ian, do you have a different take?
2: Yeah, personally, I would try to keep the the two separate. So if you have your own business and your own website, your own platform, personally, I, I don't think it makes sense to start writing about something that you've been doing in your full-time job. I, I think there's too much of a conflict of interest there. Um so personally, I would I would avoid it, but I think if you did um, feel that that was a good way to to make content. I would I would speak with with your with with your boss and see if they would um, feel okay about that. But my my gut feel is that they would probably be uncomfortable about it, and they would uh, feel like you know there's you know there, there's a reason why you're doing it. And I I don't know. I personally I would just stand well clear away from doing that type of thing, and I, I would just create content around your own thing and, and keep it totally separate
0: from your full-time job. Particularly where you are, I'm assuming, am I assuming right, Sandra, that you are in the same business as you're doing freelance work? Meaning is your freelance work the same kind of work you do at your day job?
1: Uh, yes, that's correct.
0: Yeah. And so that can be potentially problematic, right? If you're getting new clients as a freelancer because of the things that you've done at your full-time job, that's that can be hugely problematic. If you're not sending them the clients that you're getting i would probably steer clear of it if i had to you know pick a side i would say probably not but if you really want to explore it i'd say talk to your boss about it or talk to the hr department or whoever at your company you feel like you need to talk to about it
2: yeah i think um with content um one of the reasons why why you'd possibly want to do that is because it's really easy to to put together uh and um i mean in terms of content you know how we're having this conversation now you could actually create a piece of content about this and you could say what i learned from um uh, the uh, Milo team or the side gig podcast team and you can create a piece of content where you say these were my questions this is what i learned and this is what I'm going to do to, to do now, and that's kind of like sharing your journey. And I always find content like that is very shareable. And um, by sharing your experience, people can follow along. And I think um, certainly my um, personal followers they they really love that. They they like to see you know how you progress because they they can uh, relate with it, and that's how you build a following. You know,
0: it's by sharing your personal experiences.
1: Well, that's a great idea I would say too there's
0: there's probably maybe an in-between. you know you may not be able to show the whole process of the work that you do at your desk job, but you know if you're on dribble or or even other social media like like Twitter or something, you could potentially show screenshots of projects you're working on. I mean, and that's, that's not unheard of, even if you don't have a side hustle, just sharing the things that you're working on because you're proud of the work that you're doing. And so I, I would say that's a little less gray area for me. But if you're sort of doing it with the intent of getting clients, that's where it gets a little bit more complicated. And But, but you know, I mean, I, I'm not sure, again, talk to your boss about it, but I'm not sure they could fault you for sharing Work that you're proud of on something like a Behance portfolio or on your Dribble account or something like that. So I think there's probably lots of in between options between should I do this or shouldn't I do this? There's probably lots of variations that you could approach. And if you can just find the right mix uh you know you're golden so
1: there was one question I was wondering as well is um for that kind of sidekick jobs where would you go to look for projects?
2: In my case I've been doing uh one or two things. So first of all there's kind of the side of it where it's like the long game. What we said about creating content, adding things on social media, all of that can help towards what's called um SEO. So search engine optimization is what you can do to your website and an online presence to allow you to be found on Google. So that's something that you need to look at long-term and and what that involves is content on your website, optimizing it uh, with specific keywords around, around your, your niche, um, blogging, social media. It's, it's a really big topic and it's worth um, probably having a, a separate conversation about uh, this set thing. But That's what I would do long-term is to start working on building up your authority online so that people can find you. But in the short term, I would do things like what you're already doing. So start attending networking events, start meeting people that um, have businesses. Don't try to sell at those people at those networking events. Just make friends with them and um, be transparent about what you offer as a service, and then if they need it, they will come to you. I'd also reach out to your current network of people, so friends, family. If, if you communicate, you know, even if it's just a, a Facebook post, if you post on Facebook and say, I'm just working on this business, I'm looking for work, if anyone has anything, send it over to me and you know, you can send direct messages to people. But I think that's probably the easiest place to start is the people that you already know. And they, you know, they can ask people that they know. I, th- I think that's a really easy way to get it. But personally, I would, as you've got a secure job and an income coming in, if you are planning to do this long-term, I would play the long game and start building up your credibility online so that people do find you online. So use all the social media platforms out there. Um, you know, add your work on things like Behance, Dribbble, um, add it on things like instagram uh it's it's a lot of work but if you if you do it gradually um like in in my case i've got a lot of credibility online but i i when i first started out started out i didn't spend hours and hours and hours on that i spent like 15 minutes a day every day just posting on social media when i had um some spare time. So maybe just once a month, I might write a piece of content that was optimized for Google. And by just continuously doing this type of thing, it builds up a domino effect. So I I think, you know, it's kind of like the compound effect that if you keep investing in something and gradually building up, it builds up authority online. I I don't think um, SEO necessarily has to be like a... You know, keep cramming things in every single day. I think you can do it gradually, and um hopefully, you know with my site i I literally write one blog a month, <laughs> but I'm posting on social media a lot, but now my website has a lot of credibility online, so I rarely need to do any like outbound marketing all of my clients that I have. I'm very fortunate that they come to me and find me, and because it is a side gig. There's a, there's only a limited amount of projects that I can take on. So, um, like in in your case, you probably only need like one or two clients a month. So just going to like one or two networking events, you'll probably get enough clients to keep you busy for a, a good couple of months. I would have I would have thought.
0: I'll also add a, a somewhat controversial answer. I I. Um, co-host another podcast that listeners may have heard called My Freelance Life. The whole premise is a friend of mine, his name is Andy, Uh, he and I worked at the same tech startup, and he quit to start freelancing full time. And so I started having conversations with him on a weekly basis to check in on what it's like to quit your job and start full time as a freelancer. It's been really eye-opening, but Andy gets 100% of his client work from Upwork. And, uh, you know, there's lots of lots of freelance marketplaces, like Upwork. Um, Some are really high quality. Some are really low quality. Some match what you're the kind of work you're trying to do. Some don't. And some, you know, there's Fiverr. There are people making six figures on Fiverr, but most people are making not very much on Fiverr because the gigs are five or ten dollars and so I think you know you can explore a lot of these options as a quick way to get some new clients under your belt they might not be the highest paying clients they might not be the longest term projects but it could potentially be a way to get some cash in the door and get some client projects done to build out your portfolio and sort of get your feet under you as a freelancer I don't know it'll be interesting to see with Andy if it's a long term strategy you know for five or ten years, he's still only exclusively on Upwork. My guess is he won't be, but it's sort of his first way of, of getting out into the world of freelancing and making enough money that he can do it full time. So I know that was part of your question. I don't remember if I read it or if you had mentioned it on the air, but I know part of your question was, what about these marketplaces like Fiverr or Upwork or 99designs or or whatever? You know, Are they worth my time? I'd say if, as long as you're making a positive ROI on the investment that you're putting into them, then I would say in the beginning, at least, they are. I would say personally with a lot of these
2: platforms, clients that are on there, they tend to drive for the lowest price. So I would personally, if you're going to use them, treat it as a way to build up a portfolio so that you have a decent amount of work to show off. But don't necessarily expect to get the highest price. I mean, it, it is worth mentioning. I, I know we've we mentioned Fiverr here and, um, you know, for uh, logos, what I work on, it's kind of like a, a big no-no and everyone hates it in the industry, but they do now have something called Fiverr Pro and there are people on there that are selling um, logos specifically Um for thousands of pounds through the fiverr pro um platform and uh can't think of the guy's name but the the guy that um created the the apple logo he's a, he's actually just been affiliated with them and they're doing a whole load of um new marketing creating new content to try and steer it in a different way and i find that really interesting so i, I don't know if that will be a platform worth looking at um but i have been quite surprised that something like fiverr people are selling their services for thousands of pounds. So there's, there's, there's definitely a mark on there, whether it's worth it long-term, I have no idea. So I'd be interested to listen to that podcast, um, Preston. It sounds like that could be a really
0: interesting um, story to to follow along. It's definitely been interesting uh, and entertaining. and And it's been really eye-opening because I felt the same way about these marketplaces, like just completely steer clear of them. And yet he's making a good living doing just work he gets from Upwork. That's, it it actually allowed him to quit his job and take his freelancing full time. And so, yeah, I think, I think, uh, you know, be cautious, be careful, be smart and strategic about the way that you're building your business. But there's one thing that's for sure. These marketplaces have clients who are there and need work done and are ready to pay someone to do that work for them they might not pay top dollar but they are paying clients which you know a lot of times when you're just starting out as a freelancer that's something you don't have it's not a luxury that you have so i don't know sandra if you'd uh, what are your thoughts on these sort of marketplace you know systems
1: well i've been investigating actually and um it is interesting, but it's very crowded, especially in the kind of things that I do—the the graphic design and the front end design. It's very crowded and very competitive, and it feels like yeah. uh, people are looking at people that have already done some work before. So you've got like some kind of credits next to your name to see like how many, how much money you've earned since you've started. And uh, I just wonder whether if I started it now, then people would see that I haven't had any gigs yet with them and therefore would go with somebody else. But it is true that, um, you know, for the sake of developing my portfolio to have a bit more varied examples in my portfolio that, you know, I could, I could really go for the lower offer, um, as a temporary measure. Um so this is definitely something that uh I would be looking at a bit more.
2: If the intent was to actually start building up um a decent portfolio and the the money didn't happen, I haven't used these platforms myself but personally I would assume that the the actual quality of the project isn't going to be that amazing so personally if the goal was to build up a decent portfolio i would personally recommend to, to do some pro bono work you know find a charity that needs to help and build up a proper case study with lots of examples and get a really good testimonial out of that as well and that's something that you can put on your website and you can shout about um so yeah that, that's just my thoughts on that because. I, I'm not a big fan of these sites. I just feel like they, they tend to drive the price down and down and down. But, um, I'm just so curious of uh, that guy's story
0: because maybe I, my opinions are totally wrong and it is actually worth looking at. Well, it's worth noting that he is not a designer. And so I know that these marketplaces can can be really bottom of the barrel uh, prices for design work. He does work with um, spreadsheets and data and that sort of thing. So it's maybe a little more... Uh, I guess, not as crowded um, in terms of freelancers who offer the kinds of services that he does. So we've talked about that a little bit on the show. We have to acknowledge, obviously, that a lot of listeners are, you know, designers, writers, um, the kinds of professions that, unfortunately, these marketplaces are absolutely just flooded with. Um, And so that that probably does make a difference. But I will say in response to your comment, Sandra. So Andy, I just recorded an episode with him that will be live here in a few weeks where he told me that he started out at a base price, something he thought was fair for the client, reasonable for him to get a decent amount of work and money. And then over the course of the last six or eight months, he has doubled it twice and clients still reach out to him. But what you were saying, Sandra, is correct. He was able to double his rate twice because he started to get better statistics on his account, better ratings, reviews, comments from his previous clients, work that he could show that he did. And so it is a process, But freelancing is a process. Side hustling is a process, right? And so, you know, very few people overnight can go from not having any experience or any clients to suddenly having the best top paying clients making more money than they know what to do with. There are very few people that can do that. So no matter the road you take, it's going to be a process, I think. It's just a matter of what road makes the most sense for you as you're building your side hustle. I think we probably need to wrap up the episode there. Sandra, is there anything else you want to chat about in the last few minutes that we have on the air?
1: No, that's great. Thanks, Kristen.
0: Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for um, letting us sort of use you as a case study, I guess. Hopefully, the things we've been able to say today have been helpful. Hopefully, we haven't rambled too much. I'd love to hear back from you in a, in a while and see how your freelancing is coming along and, um, and how you're doing. But thank you so much for, for being here with us
1: well thank you very much for having me and definitely lots of things that uh you know lots of food for me and definitely watch this space and i'll be very happy to catch up with you at some other point
2: yeah that sounds great one thing i would say about this um format of episode is that it kind of validates the the things that we're saying and um Having someone that's kind of questioning questioning us allows us to expand on and actually start helping people. So it's it's been a really good experience. So um Sandra, thank you for sharing your um story with us and and hopefully the advice that the three of us has given you will actually help you um just to uh take things further. I'm sure it will. Thank
1: you very much Ian. You're welcome.
0: There it is. A big thanks to Ryan and Ian for their help with today's episode. Be sure to check out their podcasts in the show notes of this episode as well. Before we jump off the air, remember to visit sidegigshow.com where you can subscribe to receive regular updates about this show and other podcasts by Milo as well. SideGig is a production of Millo. You can learn more about us and listen to our other podcasts at M-I-L-L-O This show was edited by the very talented Danny Gilman at echopodmedia.com. Thanks, Danny. Keep hustling, everybody, and we will see you in the next episode of Side Gig.